Now I'm going to teach you the Bible, so it should be really good. I'm not sure why the elders summoned me, but apparently I uh, to be held accountable for that somehow. Welcome, everybody. Good to, good to see you guys. Welcome, everybody. Watch online as well. Uh, my name's Jeff. If I haven't got to meet you before, I would love to do that sometime. Uh, before we jump into our conversation, I want to double click on this uh, thing that's on your chairs or on the app uh, that we talked a, lot, a little bit about. This is Easter coming up, so a couple weekends. Uh, next weekend, we're going to finish up the series that we're in right now, and then the next weekend is Easter. And uh, we're going to start the series, uh, It's What We Do. Uh, on the back of this card is all of the Easter services, and we always add services a lot uh, during Easter season just to fit everybody in. So there's, there's different services here on Gent Road, different services at the extension. Encourage you to be a part of that. Encourage you to invite people to be a part of, uh, of our Easter time here. If you're watching online, encourage you to come on in uh, if you're able to and be a part of Easter Live uh, to celebrate together, but also because we're kicking off this new series. So um, one of the things, that if you're newer to Grace, one of our passions that we love to talk about is the radical love that Christ has for us. It's, it's kind of an overwhelming thing the more and more you think about it. And one, one of our great, great passions is, of course, to receive that love, but then to express it to the people around us. So through the body of Christ, the church, uh, loving in a radical way, the same way that Christ loves us. And that's what that What We Do series is all about. And so you talk about the daily challenges that'll come out over the apps, the way that our small groups will work, the kids will be in this, our high school, junior high and high school students will be in it, and then all of the adults as well. And, uh, and then toward the end of it, we are going to take a weekend where we will not have normal services. We'll get you up to speed on this, but we'll have very abbreviated services. And then the goal is that uh, 3,000 of us will go out in one weekend and just serve and express love to our community by kind of getting our, our hands dirty and being, being a part of it. So it's going to be a great month. The whole month of April is going to be dedicated to this. It's going to kick off at Easter, uh, and you're going to want to be a part of that. So uh, make sure it's on your calendar. And then if you come to Grace all the time, look at those Easter services, find the one that's the most inconvenient for you and go to that one, okay? Unless you're bringing a guest and then come to the one that's most convenient for them. But if you're not bringing a guest and you come to the most convenient service, we'll tase you. So I just want you to know that ahead of time. Uh, but uh, let's make lots of room for our community uh, the, because they join us. We all kind of get together on that weekend and I think it's going to be a blast to be a part of it, okay? So we're in a series right now uh, called... Uh, our mixtape. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about relationships a lot here at Grace because Christ talks a lot about relationships. So guy asked Jesus one time, he's like, what's the two biggest things to remember? And Jesus said, here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the outlet of our love for Christ is often expressed in our love for people. And those are relationships. And in that, Christ talks a lot about how we interact with each other, a lot about how we illustrate his love for humanity through our love for the people around us. And so that's why we talk about relationships so much, because Jesus most clearly and consistently talks about those things. And we're talking specifically about marriage right now, because my spouse is my first neighbor, okay? So it's something that you should press into and think about a lot. 
And so uh, we've been looking at the book of Song of Songs, and over the course of that book, you see this relationship play out. Uh, This couple is attracted to each other. They start dating. She finds a man with a name. He finds a woman with a heart. They fall in love. They get married, and then they start expressing marital love to each other. We talked about that the last few weeks, the three different types of love that God lays out for us in the book of Song of Songs. And now this weekend, I want to talk about how do you have that love expressed? How does it play out over a lifetime? Uh, So this hits all of us in one way or another because God's Word applies to everybody all the time. So if you're single and you don't want to be, you're too young to be married or you're just not yet, uh, what this is doing is laying out for you a path. You, You begin with the end in mind. What I want there, I start building here. And so this is a part of that path. If you're single again, then uh, kind of the second at bat, you probably look and say, I want to do it differently than I did the first time. Uh, So how can I build a different type of relationship? If you're married, you're going to be the the primary example of what we're talking about here. Or if you're single and you don't want to be married, this is a discipleship tool. So how do I help the grandkids or my kids or a friend as they're making these life decisions? So we're all in on this conversation, right? And uh, this, a lot of what we're going to talk about applies to every relationship. And so let's dig at this a little bit. How do we stay married over the course of a lifetime? How is that marriage happy? How is it healthy? How is it kind of sexy? You know, how, how can we have that, that dream that we all want when, when we get married and we look and say, I want to grow old with this person. I want to build a life with this person. That's the dream. That's the intention. But if you're normal, that's not your reality, right? Most of us now, if you're in high school, junior high, the stats would say most high school, junior high, elementary age kids are not raised in a two-parent family. And so it's normal that you would go through divorce. Divorce is over 50% now in our culture. Uh, Probably every one of us has been affected by divorce in one way or another, your own or your parents or your siblings or a friend or whatever, all of us kind of have divorce shrapnel in us in one way or another. And that's, that's painful and it's frustrating and it's disillusioning. And that's why God hates it, right? That's why God hates it. Now, I, I understand that for some of us, we've had no choice. And the Bible even teaches about that, that there are times when you are the victim of a divorce. Your, your spouse will not respond to Christ. And they will not change. And there is abuse and there is abandonment and there is adultery. And even, even here at the church, we have looked at, at spouses and said, you know what, let's just file the paperwork. There's no way to come back from this because the other person refuses to be a part of the healing. So certainly there are those of us who have had no choice But even in that, there's all kinds of pain. Even when you have no choice, you didn't want that. We didn't set out for that. We're kind of stuck with it. We're the victims of it. What what I've run into a lot is this. I I realized that this week, as I was getting ready for this, I realized that there's, um, it kind of hit some nerves in me. And and I started to get real passionate about it. Ezra kind of had to settle me down a little bit because I was going to hellfire brimstone this thing. And he's like, easy, biggin. Why don't you just talk to everybody? And so I I realized that it kind of hit some nerves because I've spent the the bulk of my adult life dealing with 
people struggling with their marriages. Uh, in, this summer, I will have been a pastor for 25 years at, at Grace here, and the conversation I have had the most, bar none, is what do I do about my marriage? Uh, he won't respond. She won't respond. We're lost. We're in pain. We don't know what to do. My parents, right? Hands down, there's not even a close second. The conversation I've had the most as a pastor is about marriages. And I realize just how passionate I become about this. And, and there are these times when, when someone is a victim. But what I run into the most is this. I, I run the most into to men who don't know how to be men. Nobody ever taught them how to be a man. And so they, 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 their grandfather's divorced, their dad's divorced, their, their siblings, are nobody ever taught them to be a man, therefore they never learned to be a husband. They don't know what they're doing. They don't necessarily want this either. They don't see another option. I, I've run into women who don't know how to be women. They, they've never had a steady godly example of a woman in their life. And because they don't know how to be the woman, they don't know how to be a wife. They don't, they don't know what to do with that. And so they, they come to us for help, which we love, by the way. We want that. But I found that, that we're starting from scratch because it, it's not always a hard-headed person. It, when they're talking about divorce, it's because it's, it's the only option they've ever been taught, right? It is, it is the record of the family. It's what their friends who are divorced say. You know, you should just be happy. Get out of that. And they have no idea what they're fighting for, no idea what it could become, and no idea how to, how to get there, right? And in that is all this pain. Suddenly people that I love, that you love, right? They're just in all this pain because divorce is a no-win situation always. Even when necessary, it's a no-win situation. And so how do we do this, right? Because when we get married, the dream is to go the distance, the dream is to, go, to grow old together. And the dream is not just to grow old together, but to be happy and healthy and sexy kind of in the, in the process of doing that. But very, very few of us w would know what to do. And the examples that we see are, are never close to that. You, you look around your family, you don't see, if you're normal, you don't see an example of a lifelong marriage. You're never gonna get it in the culture. You're never going to hear a song about it or get good counseling about it or, or see a, a movie about it. Never, right? And so we wind up having no idea what, what to do. Now, this is what I would say. If we don't want that, right? If we don't want the breakdown, we don't want the, the divorce, we don't want the misery. If we don't want that, if we want something different, then we have to do something different, if we want a different outcome, we have to take a different path. And I would kind of like to lay out an alternative path for us today. And, and it's a path that nobody else is going to teach in our culture. Uh, what I'm, what I'm going to tell you this weekend, nobody else is going to tell you because it comes straight from the Bible and you're never going to see a biblical, Christ-centered, selfless marriage celebrated or sung about, right? So it's an alternative path but what we're doing isn't working. What if we did something different? Could we get a different outcome, okay? So let me show you this. I, I would propose this. If we want a different outcome in our marriages, 
and, and we want to have a marriage that goes the, goes the distance, instead of taking the path that we're taught to take, we have to take what I call the path of Christ. We have to take a different path in which he is the focal point of it. Now, on the surface, I realize that when you come to church, like the pastor has to say that, like it's in my contract somewhere, right, that I have to say Jesus, but I don't have a contract, so I can actually say whatever I want. So let's talk about this here for a minute, right? When I talk about the path of Christ, what do I mean about that? Because on the surface, we would say, well, Jeff, you know, I'm a Christian, like I self-identify as a Christian, and I'm in church, or I'm listening on the internet, so I've chosen the path of Christ. And I would kind of press pause right there and say, that's not what I'm talking about. Do you know that statistically, divorce rates for Christians are exactly the same as divorce rates for non-Christians? Exactly the same. There's less than one percentage point difference. So identifying as a Christian or going to church is not the path of Christ that we're talking about, okay? If you're the average, the average church attender in North America comes two out of five weekends now. If you come more than that, you're radical. You joined a cult, right? So God forbid you tithe. So anyways, but, but that, that's kind of the way that that is. So if you're normal, you say, well, I, that, I'm in that group. I'd say that's not the group I'm talking about. The path of Christ is not being a Christian instead of like a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu or whatever. The path of Christ is deeper than all of that. Let me explain it this way. When we think about our marriages, uh, we tend to think about our marriages like this vase, right? So this vase is beautiful but fragile, right? So we have something that's beautiful but fragile, and we put value in it. And, And if we came to church and sat through a conversation or especially a series about marriage, we, we would self-identify and say, I agree with you, Jeff. Like, I agree that marriage is beautiful and it's fragile, and I'm here to learn something about that because I want to protect that marriage. Now, generally what we would do is, is this. We would say, because it's beautiful and it's fragile, I'm going to anchor my marriage on something that is sturdy, right? So I'm going to take that beautiful, fragile thing And I'm going to put it on a sturdy table because I I realize if it gets knocked off or I put it on something that's unlevel, it can fall off and shatter and I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to take the time to put it on something sturdy. And usually when we think about something being sturdy, what we think about is our love for each other. We're building our marriage off of our love for each other. We love each other, and we really do love each other. And we listen to the whole front part of the series. And so we, we dated right, we built things right, we chased away the foxes, man with a name, woman with a heart, all that kind of stuff. And we have this deep love for each other, and so we turn that into that marriage, right? It's great. It's a great start. Here's the thing. If I place what's fragile on something that I believe is solid... I have to ask, what is the table sitting on? If I take this table and I take this vase and I put it on the deck of a boat on a stormy lake, the table and the vase are going to collapse. So I have to press a little bit deeper, not just a a Christian marriage, self-identified marriage, but I love for each other, but what is my love built on? So oftentimes we'll go a layer deeper and we'll say, I'm going to put my love on a solid floor. By the way, I have a graphic arts person who's looking for a job, if anybody (laughs) is looking to hire, because generally I don't like signs of the devil in my sermon. So, So, you know, right? 
So she kind of played a trick on me. But so here we go. So my marriage is on my love. What is my love built on? And usually what our love is built on is we would say, well, it's like my emotional health. I had a, a, a guy ask me one time, he wanted to go into ministry. And he said, he said, Jeff, what's the most important decision you made in ministry? I said, I married well. Big, biggest thing you should do if you want to go into ministry, you should marry the right person because they're going to make you or break you and there is no in between. And that's generally a life principle, right? So he said, what should I do to make sure that I marry well? I said, you should go to counseling. You should go to counseling. You should work with your childhood baggage. You should go to premarital counseling, which we offer here at the church. Like you should do all that kind of stuff because if I'm healthy, then that serves as a great foundation for our love. So some of us have said, you know what, I'm in on that. I, we, we really love each other, but we're going to do the extra hard work. We're going to go to premarital counseling. We're going to go to life skills. We're going to go see a counselor. And we're going to make sure that our childhood baggage does not affect our love for each other, which would make our marriage shaky, right? So I'd say, great. That, that's actually a great path. Something fragile and precious is on something that we think is sturdy. But what is the sturdy thing on? Is the sturdy thing on a sturdy thing? Is that floor a solid floor and then I have to ask this, what structure is the floor in? Because if the floor is not sturdy, the table's not sturdy, the vase isn't sturdy. So we'll oftentimes, we'll go even a layer deeper and say, well, the floor is in a sturdy house. See, we share values and we share life vision. So, <clears throat> so we, both, we both believe the same things and we're emotionally healthy and we love each other. We're both Republicans. We're both Democrats. Uh, we both want kids. We're both vegan, whatever it is, right? Like, uh, that's what we are. We agree in life together. Now, here's the danger. I know that we agree about life now. But between where I am at and 50 years later, a lot of life happens. You know, we're both vegan. Somebody might find out about bacon, it is good, saith the Lord, right? So, right? Somebody might change a political view. Somebody might say, oh, when I, I thought when you said kids, you meant two, I meant four. All that stuff happens because we, we as individuals, we're continually changing people. By the way, that, that's not a source of frustration. It's actually a source of delight if you let it be. It's fun. But it's the nature of it. So I look at my vase. It's on my table. That's on my floor. But my floor is in a house. And even the house is going to change. So it's not the table, it's not the floor, it's not the house, it's actually the rock, the foundation. Because when I look and say, man, if, if this foundation is not in place, if this foundation does not govern and anchor my life, then it won't support the house or the table, let alone the vase. I have to go all the way down below the surface and say, what is it that my life is fully and completely anchored to? And when we talk about the path of Christ, this is what we're talking about. Not just loving each other, not just sexual purity, not just agreement, not just going to church. All those things are great, but they only work if they come from the foundation forward. 
Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The wind is going to come into your marriage. The floods are going to rise in your marriage. The house is going to be attacked. It's inevitable. It's the nature of life. Doesn't mean it's miserable. It's just inevitable. It's the way that it's going to happen. And the question is not going to be the table. It's not going to be the floor. It's not going to be the superstructure. It's going to be the rock. And Jesus says, if you are anchored to the rock, that rock will not fail. That house will withstand those storms. It will stay sturdy through life because the foundation is in place. If we want something different, we have to do something different and something that nobody is going to teach you except the church. A truth that you're never going to hear ever outside the Bible is that if you want a marriage that is happy, healthy, sexy, and goes a lifetime Christ must be the anchor point of it always. The commitment I make to Christ has to supersede even the commitment that I make to my spouse because I'm not going to always feel like being committed to her. I'm not always going to want to yield to him. But the perfect one, the rock, the foundation is who is to have the ultimate authority and ultimate grounding in my life. Now, what does, looking, what does being anchored to the rock look like? It, it looks like things like this. It means things like this, that the Bible is the final authority in my life. The Bible is the final authority in my life. Guys, the reason that we read the Bible is not to score points with God. The reason that we read the Bible is to know the heart and the mind of God. Because you cannot know God if you do not know your Bible. So the reason I spend time in God's word every day is to find out the heart and the mind of God. And when I find out the heart and mind of God, I'm allowing God's word to be the final say in my life. More than my opinion, more than my culture, more than what my mama thinks, and a lot more than what my spouse thinks a lot of times. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna yield myself to Christ through his word, see? And a marriage that's anchored to the rock is always asking the question, what does God have to say to me, to us, as we live this life together? When you build on this idea, then it's what Jesus says, it's the practices of the Bible. Jesus says, whoever hears these words and practices them actually does what I say. He is a person who is anchored to the rock. When I find out what God's word says, And then I'm not asking the question, how do I get away from what God's word says or what are the loopholes in what God's word says, but how do I apply what God's word says to my life? I wind up building my house on the rock. So for instance, God says things like this, forgive as you've been forgiven. You know how hard that is? That's incredibly hard. Here's another one. Keep no record of wrongs. If we could apply, if we could practice just those two things, we, we would make 99% of all marriages happy and healthy. In fact, we'd transform the world. If we could just have those two things go on. But it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to keep no record of wrongs. 
See, if you're, if you're a person like me, I have a terrible time with that passage because I have a very quick mouth and a very good memory, right? I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but I really shine when I need to pull down information quickly to prove to you that you're wrong and I'm right. Whatever that part of my IQ is, it's off the charts, right? And I can prove you wrong because I will remember every detail and I remember it correctly and I will persecute you with it, see? And that's my instinct. And suddenly, when God intervenes and says, wait a minute, biggin, you are sinning against your spouse, against Heidi. You are sinning against your children. You have kept a record of wrong, and now you are prosecuting your case with it. You are not forgiving as you have been forgiven. See? Suddenly, the authority of the Scripture has to take hold in my life, and I have to yield to it and not just recognize it, but practice it. See how that works? And when we talk about the path of Christ, Suddenly, this shows up in very, very real ways. And when I take the path of Christ and I look and say, I am going to be anchored to this rock, and no matter what my personality, what my instincts, what my abilities are, I'm yielding to the authority of God's word and the practices of Jesus regardless of what's happening around me. Regardless, maybe I'm right. It's not the point. I'm not exercising or going about that in a godly way, and it's causing harm and hurt in my relationships, right? Now, as I go down this path of Christ, right, and I'm looking to be anchored to this rock, and I want to build my life and my relationships off of this, what happens is this. Think of that as like a beginning point. Like I get onto this path, and I'm going deeper, and I want to be anchored to the rock. One of the things I'm going to run into is another path. And it's kind of like an extension of the first path. And I call this one the, the, the path of completion. And again, you're never going to hear this anywhere but right here. And it's the path of completion. The path of completion is this, that I am an incomplete person before I am married. This is God's vision of marriage. So Jeff Bogue is an incomplete person. He met another incomplete person. Her name was Heidi Johnson. So Jeff Bogue, incomplete, met Heidi Johnson, incomplete. We fell in love and we gave our lives to each other. And when Heidi and I got married, we made a spiritual covenant, not a legal covenant, not a tax break. We made a spiritual covenant, a vow before God. And we made a vow before God, something supernatural happened in our lives. When I made a vow before God for, to Heidi, and Heidi made a vow before God to me, Jeff ceased to exist, Heidi ceased to exist. We completed each other. The two became one, emotionally, spiritually, represented physically. The two became one, and a new person was created. It's no longer Jeff. It's no longer Heidi, it's the Bogues, right? Heidi and Jeff, it's like one word, Jeff and Heidi, one word. A new person is created because we completed each other. 
And let me, let me say this. This is going to be the most unpopular thing I say today, right? So you can email me about it, but I usually don't read them. So you, but go ahead if you want, okay? So here it is. Most unpopular thing I'm going to say today. One of the greatest false teachings in our culture today is this one. Ready? That if you can and will discover yourself, you'll be happy. What you need to do to be happy is to find yourself, to believe in yourself, to be esteemed by yourself, to understand your personal truth and live by it. And if you can find that and understand and lock into the wonder of your individuality, then you will be happy and you will be filled and you will be complete. So find yourself, believe in yourself, trust yourself, find your personal truth, and be who you are. Now here's the most unpopular thing, ready? That teaching and that point of view does not exist in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that would remotely call that truth. What the Bible would say is this, as a follower of Christ, in order for me to even become a follower of Christ, for that to happen, I have to be willing to die to myself. I give myself to Christ. I die to myself. I lose my identity. I don't hang on to it. So much so that it's Christ in me. It's not even me anymore. To follow Christ, I have to die to myself, not believe in myself. And then what happens is this. As a Christ follower, as I die to myself, I then represent and deepen that death to self when I get married. Because I've died to myself, I've died to Christ, and now in marriage, I die to my spouse. So there is no Jeff, there is no Heidi, there is the Bogues, where there's a new entity a spiritual oneness that is marriage. And it's a completion. And if I go into a relationship that is a relationship of completion and I am fighting for individuality, I will rip apart that completion and destroy what God gave me in the gift of my spouse. So for instance, men, if you wanna be a man and you wanna be strong, you have to be strong enough to take your wife's ability to complete you. For instance, to take her wisdom. If I look at my wife's wisdom because she is a woman, she sees the world differently than I'm gonna see it. That's by God's design. If I take her wisdom and I receive it as a challenge to my ego, I will destroy my oneness with my wife. I know what I'm talking about. This is done. Well, they just get their act together. Tell them to knock it off. And suddenly, I have someone in my life who spiritually is able to bring me a different point of view, to bring me wisdom, to give me an insight that I could never achieve on my own. And if I view that wisdom as a challenge instead of a treasure, I will destroy oneness. If I'm fighting for my right, I'm fighting for my point of view, I'm fighting for my ego, I will break down my oneness. There is no completion. Ladies, men see the world differently than you do, and it's a good thing, right? 
You cannot see the world the way that we see the world as God's design. So one of the things that's unique to men is our instinct to have strength. It's our instinct to be upset by an injustice. It's our instinct to defend. It's our instinct. That's the way God wired us. If you as a woman, as a wife, if you look at our instinct and instead of respecting our strength, you resent it, you will break apart that oneness. Because as your husband, generally men, your husband is going to have an instinct for strength that is not your instinct. So God has the ability to complete you with it. But if you resent that strength, instead of respect that strength, you're going to push him apart. The same stubbornness and the same bullheadedness and the same hardheadedness that frustrates you is the same bullheadedness and hardheadedness that causes him to be faithful to you in a world that's full of temptation. If you hate that strength, I can introduce you to millions of men who are too weak to raise their own children, too weak to be faithful to their wife. They're everywhere. But if you want a different one, then you view that strength as a completion. You view that wisdom as a treasure, see? And this is God's idea. It's not me being me and I bring you along with me. It's us becoming something new. This also allows us to celebrate each other, guys, right? Because there's certain things that Heidi is good at that I'm not. When, when, when we go into the CrossFit world, Heidi's a world-class athlete. She's amazing. When we go in the CrossFit world, I'm Heidi's husband. I'm not Jeff Bogue. I'm Heidi's husband. In fact, it usually goes like this. This is Heidi's husband. Huh. She's usually something like that, right? I'll go work out, you know, and somebody, they'll find out I'm Heidi's husband, and some young, ripped guy will look at me and is like, you're Heidi's husband. I'm always like, yeah, I got money. I mean, it, we, were, we were in Hawaii a couple weeks ago on our anniversary, and we're walking down the beach, and it was this classic, like, 80-year-old guy with his 20-year-old girl, just like a sugar daddy kind of a thing. And I told Heidi, I was like, you realize everybody thinks that about you. <laughs> You're walking around with this fat, hunched-over guy. They're like, he must have money, right? So that's the way that works. So we go into Heidi's world. I'm Heidi's husband, right? And that allows me to step back and celebrate Heidi, have Heidi be on a pedestal. Pursue Heidi's dreams. Pursue Heidi's goals. When Heidi's in her busy season at work, and her busy season with the gym, I can support the house differently. I can fall away because I'm not fighting to be me. I'm working to complete us. And then you switch the role. When Heidi walks in a different world, she's Jeff's wife. She's Jeff's wife. Instead of resenting being Jeff's wife, she takes pride in being Jeff's wife. Instead of fighting to be an individual, I'm just going to ignore that world. I'm not going to be a part of it. I hate being over there. They only always talk about you, right? You allow that to be completed. You celebrate it because I'm not fighting for that individuality. I'm doing the work of completion. God gave me a gift to make me whole, and that gift is my spouse. See how that works? I go down this path of Christ. I'm going to God's word. It's the final authority. I'm anchored on this rock. I'm going to run into this path of completion. And on this path, I'm not going to compete. I'm going to complete. It's what I want to do. I want to give myself to you. 
This is what, by the way, this is what biblical submission is. I'm giving the best of myself to Heidi. Heidi's giving the best of herself to me. We submit to each other as we submit to Christ. And we're completing each other, not competing against each other. As I head down then the path to completion, I'm going to run into the last path that we're going to talk about this weekend. And it's this, this idea of the, of the path of contentment, the path of contentment. It's fascinating what the Apostle Paul says. He says this. He's, he's talking about, you know, I've been cold. I've been hungry. I've been well-fed. I've been warm. I've been clothed. I've been naked. Things, life's gone great. Life's gone horrible. And he says, I'm not saying all this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment's a funny word because we hear the word contentment um, in our, to our Western ear. We hear it differently than how the Bible uses it. It's no big deal. It's just the way that we use the word. Most of the time when we use the word contentment, we use it in the terms of like settling for mediocrity. That's how we would think about, I'll just be content. You know, I got a C minus. I'll be content. Right? Hey, you want to go out for some, some sushi? No. I'll just have a McFish. I'll be content. Right? That's the way we think about it. Right? Hey, are you a football fan? Yeah, I cheer for Michigan. I'm content. Right? That, that's, a, that's the way we would do it, right? So we just settle for a loser, right? And, and so it's that, it's, it's that kind of a thing, right? It, it's how we hear it. We, we think of mediocrity. We think of settling. The Apostle Paul doesn't use that word that way in the Scripture. That's not what contentment means. Uh, the way to describe biblical contentment is this idea that, that I'm going to see the wonder or the beauty of something. I'm going to see the wonder or the beauty of something, okay? So we work like this. We're standing before something beautiful in our culture. And again, it's, this is not an attack on our culture. It's just the way we're wired. It's no big deal. There's advantages to this too. But in our culture, when we see something beautiful, we glance at it, right? Uh, Grand Canyon, huh? Right? Hey, how about that? Mona Lisa, huh? Right? That's, that's, the way that, that's the way that we tend to do things. We glance at it, and then we move on to whatever else. Contentment is this. I'm going to stand at the Grand Canyon. I'm going to watch the sunset. And I'm going to marvel in the beauty of how when it sets, it changes color. Look at those purples. They weren't there 30 seconds ago. Look at the depth of that red. This is beautiful. I could stand here all evening long. I'm just content. I'm, I'm fulfilled. I, I, I can't see this enough, right? It's that idea. I'm looking at the Mona Lisa, and I'm not like, huh, there's a woman in a painting. Huh, smaller than I thought. That's, right? It's looking at, I'm like, look, look at the brush strokes. Look at, look at the shading and the shadow. It's incredible. How do you do that with a paintbrush? I could stand here for hours and, and draw the depth out of what I'm, what I'm experiencing right now. That's the idea of contentment. Paul says, I've learned, I've learned to draw the joy, the wonder, regardless of the circumstances. Because there's joy and wonder when I've been hungry. There's joy and wonder when I've been well-fed. There's joy and wonder when I've been cold. There's joy and wonder when I've been warm. I've learned this, this secret of contentment. In marriage, this is the idea. Proverbs talks about this in Proverbs chapter 5. The, the writer says this. He said, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. 
a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever intoxicated with her love. I'm going to look at my wife, and you can flip it. I'm going to look at my husband, and I'm just going to see the wonder of this life together. I see the beauty of her. I know, I know it sounds weird in our culture, but when you're intoxicated with your spouse, when you take the time instead of, she's hot, oh, he's cute, you take the time and you soak up the beauty of them, they become more physically attractive the older they get. They become more spiritually attractive because we've lived this life together. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's more meaningful because we've been content with what God has given us. We're seeing the beauty in our spouse that God sees in them. Now, this is what's fascinating. This last sentence, this is verse 13. Paul's talking about contentment. Then he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The older translations say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a fascinating thing because we use that verse a lot, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We'll get that on t-shirts or a lot of you have that as a tattoo. And usually when when you hear that, what, what you mean is this, whatever I put my mind to, I can do because Christ will give me strength. And you say it like that too. And so like, right, so you're like, I can do this because Christ will give me strength. So, so you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this deadlift and I'm going to straighten my back out and get my knees down. And I'm going to, I can lift this 45,000 pounds because Christ is going to give me strength. Right? And, and we, we, we kind of think of it that way. And it's fascinating. That's not the context. The context is this. Christ is going to give me strength to be content. Isn't that fascinating? Christ will give me strength to, to not jump from thing to thing. Christ, whether, whether I'm hungry or full, cold or warm. So instead of this, instead of like, I'm going to do this deadlift, Christ's going to give me strength. The verse doesn't apply there as much as when you get it halfway up and have to drop it because you, you couldn't PR it, you maxed out. It's when you step away, you would say, I can handle this disappointment through Christ who gives me strength. I, I can be satisfied that, that what I wanted to do didn't play out the way that I thought it would. Christ is going to give me the strength to be satisfied with that. As we go through life and, and the storms of life and the wind blew and, and things didn't play out the way I thought they were going to play out, Christ is going to give me strength to see the wonder and the beauty of the wife of my youth the husband of my youth. It's a spiritual thing. Because left to myself, I'm going to jump to whatever I think is going to make me happy the fastest. I'm going to jump to whatever I think is going to get me out of pain the most quickly. And Paul says, I've actually learned a secret. That being in the circumstances that the path of Christ has led me to is always the best place to be. And Christ will give me strength to see that, to learn from that, to maximize that, and to find the wonder of it. The path of Christ, when you look at marriage, is going to take you to the path of completion. It's not about being me, it's about being us. And the path of completion takes us to the path of contentment where the beauty is us. 
And the longer I'm married, the more I become us. The higher the probability of me being lost in my spouse's identity. And that us is what we're dreaming about. When that us is ripped apart, that's what the pain is. The, the, the oneness is the richness. It's the romance. It's the, it's the health of a marriage. And it's the vision that God wants to give us, right? Guys, what we're doing isn't working. It's not working, right? If it, if it was going to work, it would have worked by now. You know, 50, 60, 70 years of being married without Christ as a foundation, being the norm, it, we're seeing the results of it. It doesn't work. The people that we listen to, they're wrong. Oprah, Oprah's wrong. She's never even been married. I, just, I love Oprah. Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil's wrong. He's divorced, right? Dr. Drew, he creepy. <laughs> I, I don't like Dr. Drew, but right, they, they're wrong. Gr Mom is wrong. Grandpa's wrong. Like, if, they, if you're not seeing it play out in their lives, then they're not, they, they don't have the wisdom to offer. Look at somebody who's been married a long time and they're happy and they're healthy, not just existing. Find out what their secret is. What did they do differently? And you're going to find this stuff. You're going to find this stuff every time. Because the God who created us to want to be together, the God who created us to seek that completion, the God who created us to hope beyond hope that somebody would love me when I'm not as lovable as I used to be, is the same God that instructs us of how to go down this path and how to have success with it, right? If we want something different, we have to do something different. And the path of Christ, that's an alternative, right? And, and, it, and it's, it's one that most people have never actually chased down, applied, and lived by. All right. I know that you know, everyone listening to this, I know we come from different places. And I know that some of us, we come and we're, in a, we're just in a ton of pain because our spouse will not respond. And you're at the end of the line. Maybe you've had to sever the line. And I just want you to know that we love you. We want to support you. We want to help you. If you are the victim of a divorce, right, you should not feel guilt-ridden but you probably need some help. You need to figure all that out, especially if you're ever thinking about remarrying again, right? But God loves you, and even the Scripture allows for no alternative, right, but divorce. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, though, right? So I love you. Some of us are hanging on by a thread. That's why, that's why we're listening to this this weekend. It's a, it's a last-ditch thing, and hoping that maybe Jeff has a magic bullet. He doesn't. But I have, a, I have an alternative path. And I believe very strongly that God is the God of the resurrection. And this is what I believe. I believe that if a husband and a wife will be equally committed to Christ, 
that he will resurrect their commitment to each other. And I'm telling you, I know it's true. There are people in this room right now that I will introduce you to that would have said there was no hope for their relationship because there wasn't until they yielded to Christ, right? Now it takes two. But God is the God of the resurrection. It's the business that he's in. Some of us have probably just got lazy. So we're, we're independent people. We're not, nobody walking out, nobody hates each other. We're just not investing. The types of love that we talked about earlier are not something that we're th- investing ourselves in. We're investing in the kids, we're investing in the career, the businesses, but not each other. And it very well may be a discussion where I need to look at my spouse and say, you know what, sweetie, I'm, I'm wrong. We need, to, we need to fuel this fire, right? So whatever that is, I get away, a date night, a little bit of dode, I don't know what that is, but, but we need to look and say, I value this relationship and I'm going to build into it, right? Wherever it is, it's going to all trace back to that foundation, Whatever we try to set that vase on, if it's not on the solid rock of Christ, then it's going to get wobbly. And so the commitment is, Christ, you above all else, and then I want to express your love to my spouse, okay? All right. Band's going to come out, create a little space for us. You pray, you think, let God have some freedom in your heart and uh, see where he leads you to today, okay? Jesus, love you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for helping us with this. Thanks for your word. You teach us how to love our neighbor in a, in a correct way, a godly way. And so thank you. Press into our hearts, God. We all have our own stories and our own pain and baggage. And so wherever we need to yield to you, Holy Spirit, would you show that to us? Would you convict us? Would you encourage us? Would you help us? And God, uh, show us which part of our heart we're keeping to ourselves and not yielding to you and maybe even to our spouse. Mold us into the people you want us to be. Help us, give us clarity, Jesus, and work in our lives and in our relationships even in these moments. In your name we ask, amen.